Your kingdom is a real, present, dynamic, loving, powerful reality. Uh, it exists in the unseen world, and so for us sometimes, particularly in the West, we find it challenging. We are cynical about it. We are dismissive of it. Oh, Lord, let us not be this morning. Will you give us a heart to see beyond what we can see with our natural eyes? Will you help us and awaken us to what you are doing beyond us? Will you envision our hearts afresh? Will you let us capture in a moment the wonder of your beautiful reality? of the reality of heaven's world, which is around, not somewhere in the distant universe, but it is present and real within reach. And will you make it known to us this morning in a fresh way? By your Holy Spirit. I ask it in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. That was a strong amen. And a few years ago, we were uh, traveling on our way as a family to a place that we love to go to uh, called Ancreagan. You may have heard us talk about it in the past. And it's in somewhere in the middle of the Sparrens in between Oma and Cookstown, almost directly. And it's kind of in the middle of nowhere. They set a cottage just right in the woods. It's a lovely place. You can go and visit it. It's all sorts of stuff there. But as we were driving, we left Friday uh, late at night after work. And it was dark. And uh, not long before we arrived there on the country roads, it started to snow. And I mean, like, we don't get much snow here, right, in, in, in Ireland. But it, it was like proper snow. I mean, I call it a blizzard. I've never been in a blizzard in another world where it feels like, you know, different. But it felt like a blizzard. Literally, the snow started the pelt down and we slowed right down. I couldn't see uh, more than three meters maximum in front of me. In fact, probably less than that. We were at a crawl space. We were both excited in a moment because this is snow. You never get snow. Snow is so much fun. And yet also it was like, I cannot see anywhere in front of me. I do not know where we are right now. How are we going to get there? It felt like what was in front of us was unseen. It was difficult to navigate. And the only way we really got to where we were heading was from the knowledge of being there before. And so we were trying to get there and we could not see very far, but we were able to remember. And I, I was thinking about, there's lots of stories like that, of fog and different things that we've experienced. Maybe you have stories of being up at my den and getting stuck as the cloud comes down, and it's maybe more adventurous than that. But life can feel a little bit like that sometimes, can't it? That it feels like a blizzard or a fog or a chaotic mess through which it's difficult to see clearly. So when we talk about things like the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven or the way of Jesus, as we describe it sometimes here, Either it's just dismissive, like, oh yeah, this, this is uh, church she speak again, talking about religious stuff. Or we have this idea that it's something far in the distance that feels somehow intangible and unreal and difficult to see. And I get that. Maybe that's been your experience this week. Maybe um, you've had that experience before. St. Paul, one of the writers in the, the New Testament, he writes a load, of stuff, a load of letters to the churches that he plants, says this. He says, now we see but a dim reflection as in a mirror. Now our mirrors are pretty good, right? But their mirrors weren't. So I like to say as in a steamed up mirror. If you ever tried to do a shave or your makeup in a steamed up mirror, it is not straightforward, right? It, you cannot <coughs> see a thing. You can just see this vague outline. We see as in a steamed up mirror. But one day we will see face to face, in other words, without any, uh, without any mirage or distance. Now I see and know in part, but then I shall fully know 
fully know just as I am fully known. He got this idea that the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, which is the, the main thing that Jesus taught about, it's actually the central story of the Bible. I don't have time to unpack that for you today in full, but we talk about it a lot here. Is this dynamic, real reality. It is not something, an idea in the distance. It is a real thing that is present and active and yet is unseen. And Jesus talked about it all the time. Kingdom of heaven is within reach. It is near. Repent, turn your whole way of thinking around because it is here. Then he told stories and imagery of what the kingdom of God was like. The kingdom of God is like a seed that is planted by a farmer and that grows. Or the kingdom of God is like a net that were cast and caught a series of fish. Or the kingdom of God is like a, a farmer that sows seed. Or the kingdom of God is like a manager that goes on a long journey and returns to find his servants. There's so many images that he uses. And then he does things like healing of the sick, multiplying food, stuff that in our Western world we're like, yeah, but actually is a real dynamic breaking in of God's world into our world. And the whole story of the scripture in the way we see it is of God's world interacting with our world. The biblical language is heaven and earth. It's the unseen reality of the kingdom of heaven and our seen reality of earth in all its dirt and mess. And the story of the scripture is the beginning of heaven and earth present together and the future of heaven and earth present together and in between the challenge of seeing God's way break in over and over again. So what I wanted to do this morning is two things. I wanted to talk about one way that that world is opened to us by the Holy Spirit. And I also want to honor someone who's no longer with us. Some of you will know and some of you won't. Um, and what they brought of that unseen world to us and, and for us to steward that well. So I don't know how I'm going to do it, managing both of those things together, but I want to do that. So that's why we have some of these pictures. There are many more um, that people have themselves of um, Alan Henderson, uh, who about a year ago um, died suddenly and um, had started to draw pictures. Uh, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But I want to read another scripture before I ask a few questions. And hopefully what I want to do is just stir your heart a little bit. It's not going to be super uh, logical. Uh, this morning I'm not going to give you five or six points. But I am going to give you some parameters for opening up the way of God through dreams, visions, images, symbols, and the like. And Paul says this. He says, we walk by faith, not by sight. What he meant by that is we walk by trusting God, by Trusting a God who in our way of thinking is unseen rather than trusting fully in what we can physically see. Now that is so uncomfortable for us in the enlightenment because we are so trained to actually see the world through what we can measure that anything unseen is deeply suspicious. Now if you get brought up in a different culture that's not the West, you don't have that problem. <laughs> you find that very easy. But for us, we are suspicious of anything that is not seen. In fact, we reduce it to something suspicious or un, um, unreliable. But actually, the scripture is full of God interacting his unseen world in our seen world. And so I want to talk a little bit about that. We walk by faith, not by sight. How we live in this kingdom of heaven, this kingdom world, the way of Jesus, as followers of him, if you're a follower of him, you live not by what you can see solely, 
what you can see is helpful for getting information in this world. It's not, it's not irrelevant. But in terms of seeing the kingdom of heaven interact and break in, we live by what we cannot see. And that is the language of faith. And that is a whole new language that we have to learn. We don't grow up learning the language of faith. And so when you come to Christ, learning the language of faith is deeply challenging. Learning to trust what he says to you over and above what you see in front of you. Learning to value when he opens up the Bible and awakens your heart to something and puts something inside here that's no, not yet out in front of you and says, I want you to walk as though this is true. That's a really weird thing, isn't it? Like, how do you explain that stuff? And yet that is the life and the, the kingdom that we're a part of. Let me briefly recap on what we've been doing so far and then I want to ask a series of important questions and then we'll see how to get on. First thing is that God is always working and speaking. We were singing that. You're always working even when we don't see that you're working. Right? That is exactly what we're talking about. You are always working around us. Sometimes we perceive it. Sometimes we don't. That is much more to do with us than it is to do with what God is doing. I, I'm a, this is a bit of a tangent, but let's go there for just a moment. I, I kind of... Like, I'm a, I love to read. Uh, you'll know this about me. Lots of theological books. I love to read psychology books. I love to read stuff that is not relaxing to read. I don't know why. <laughs> but I've been reading a number of psychology books, and they all seem to be saying the same thing. It's all about neuroscience, and it's fascinating stuff. Too much for me to cover this morning. But what was fascinating to me, I was reading this, this week about how our brains are literally shaped by our experience throughout life to determine what we see and perceive in the world like literally shaped scientifically. So for those who have experienced trauma, he was dealing with some ex-vets. They did this study where they put keys in their hand and because of their switching off through trauma, they could no longer sense what was in their hand in terms of the key. Their brains had reorientated to not sense because the pain was too strong. Our brains are fascinating things and they are wired to perceive the world a certain way. Now that gets into a whole, a whole world of interesting things. But what I'm trying to say is when we talk about the kingdom of God, we were created, if we believe the story of the Bible, we were created to engage with a God who is unseen. Our physical bodies are actually orientated to perceive and interact with him. But as people who've been brought up in modernism, I know we're postmodernism now, but in a world that is based on what we can measure, we are taught that anything that is unseen is suspicious and not worthy of investigation. And yet, God invites us to operate in an unseen world. So how do you marry those two things up? We have to reorientate our ways of seeing the world with God's help, by his spirit, to unlock something of his kingdom. And one of the beautiful ways that he does this is through dreams, visions, and imagery. So I'm going to talk about that for a little bit. Um, and here's my premise. God speaks all the time. He's always working. He wants to involve us in his plans, and he speaks through his word, the Bible, to invite us to obey. So that's where we've been for this whole like last three or four weeks. So that's our foundation. But within that story, within that journey with God, God speaks creatively through dreams and visions and I'm going to explain those in a moment, to awaken our hearts to faith and to more of his kingdom. 
Let me just say that again. God creatively speaks through dreams and visions to awaken our hearts to more of his kingdom so that we might engage and encounter it. Right throughout the story of the Bible, the writers employ imagery, poetry, and illustration to describe what God is like. You don't have to read the Bible very long to recognize that they are not giving a detailed scientific description of the world. They are using different literary styles to awaken us to the work of God on the earth, what he is like, what we are like, and how he is working. And so even Genesis, the very beginning story of the Bible, is full of poetry and imagery and how it describes what God is like and how the world began. It is not a detailed, scientific, chronological journey. It is saying something different about how God interrupted the world, how he started it, and what he is like. And then you don't have to read very far before you start seeing God interacting with humanity through dreams, visions. The first uh, moment is um, with Abraham. And God interrupts his story, calls him to go somewhere different, and then begins to show up. He invites them to follow him through many things. Many things. Jacob, one of Abraham's sons, has this moment where he flees and he ends up having a dream. And in the dream, he sees heaven coming down onto earth like a ladder and angels descending and ascending to this son of man figure that he sees. He awakens from the dream and he says this interesting phrase, God was here and I was not aware of it. So he's running away, he's in this place, no notion that God is present, no knowledge of him there. And then he puts his head on a stone, which I don't even know how he went to sleep, but anyway, that's another thing for another day. (laughs) In his dreams where somehow his ability to see dips into the subconscious and dreams is a whole other ballgame I get. But somewhere where our conscious mind is no longer present, but something is working at a different level. And God interrupts his dream to show him and awaken him to something of the kingdom. And he wakes up and he recognizes something of God is here and I could not see it. When I closed my eyes, God interrupted my dreams and spoke to me. Show me something. We've got Moses on Mount Sinai where he encounters God in a powerful way. He comes down with his face literally glowing. And you can dismiss these as kind of old primitive tales, but it's, you go further, a little bit closer, and Isaiah is in a temple with God and he has this vision, open vision of heaven and the creatures around heaven and this son of man figure again, bright and shining. And God speaks to him through the vision and says, I want you to go and tell my people what I'm doing. You could go to Ezekiel, who is a prophet, again, has another open vision. He's sitting in a river and he sees, he's caught up into this place. I don't know how this even works, but he tries to describe what he sees. And what he sees is like another world. It's a temple. There's all this stuff going on. An angel is with him. It seems strange. And I even, like we cringe at it in our Western world. I'm like, I'm already thinking, how do I justify this? But I don't need to. It's just because of my upbringing and our, our world that we live in. We've got... Peter, James and John, they go up the mountain with Jesus and and in a moment, something shifts in their ability to perceive what's there. And Jesus, who is just a rabbi in normal clothing, transfigures before them into this son of man, glowing white, burning fire. So what happened? Like something shifted in their ability to see what was unseen in the natural world. You got Paul who talks about being caught up in the third heaven and this weird vision of God in 
at work. He, he, he speaks of how God opens up this scene of heaven in his, in his letters. Peter's vision, he's praying on top of a, um, a house, a tanner's house, and he has this vision where God shows him sheets coming down and begins to communicate something of the story of God, that, that this thing is not just for the Jews, it's for all peoples everywhere. You've got St. Paul's dream of a man in Macedonia calling, he goes to sleep, and he sees in a dream this man saying, come over to us in Macedonia. I don't even know how that worked. And he sees God pointing them in that direction, so they go to Macedonia. There are many stories. I could spend a long time talking about it. John on the island of Patmos, who has this open vision while he's in the spirit, he writes it down, that's in the book of Revelation. It's confusing and it's weird, but it's this picture of something that we cannot see and grasp with our eyes. You get the picture. The scriptures speak of this right from beginning to end. You can't hardly read a chapter without seeing it. What am I trying to explain from that? God interacts with humanity through scripture. And I believe that wholeheartedly. And I don't have enough time to talk about how through the scriptures through the history of the church, God has constantly spoken through dreams and visions. Paul says it this way, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. He recognizes that this world, this kingdom of God world, it, it's unseen and yet it is real. Something happens when God interrupts our lives through dreams, visions, pictures, imagery, even poetry, that awakens us to a world that we cannot see and that sometimes is difficult to grasp. You know, you get this if you were to go to the Louvre in, in Paris or to um, the Sistine Chapel or to go and see a Monet in, um, and, and you recognize that there's something that you're interacting with in terms of artistic talent that is trying to, to do something with you that you cannot just simply explain. You might listen to classical music. That's maybe boring. I do. <laughs> but there's music that does something to the heart and awakens us to another world, paints a picture of something deeper. You get this in an intuitive way. Um, a really helpful talk just to refer to, um, which I'm not going to uh, speak of, but I'd love you to go and listen to by a guy called Tim Mackey, called Paradise Now. He speaks of his upbringing. He's a Bible nerd. He, he, him and his partner run the, the Bible projects all of his life. Uh, learn to interact with God through the scripture beautifully, but then realize that there was a whole realm of experience of God that he was not discovering, and his friends around him were, and he, he shares this story of how he loves to go walking up a mountain and, he, he, and running, and he, he sees that this lady is picking these huckleberries, which I think are blueberries for us, I'm not sure, or maybe just different berries, and suddenly he's aware that all these huckleberries are all over the mountain and he didn't know. And he uses that picture to describe that there is the kingdom of God available to us all of the time, but I was just unaware of it. And he begins to describe how God's kingdom, paradise now, is here and available to us. And visions and dreams and imagery does something that bypasses our logic. It doesn't ignore it, but it bypasses that critical mind that allows us to experience something that is difficult to understand and unseen and awakens us to the story of God in a fresh and powerful way. I believe deeply in the authority of the story of the scripture. I live my life by it. 
we at the vineyard always ask the question, what does the scripture say? That is our foundation. But I also believe, as the Bible attests, that God speaks creatively to his people through dreams, visions, pictures, and other creative means. I, I would love to sit you down with a coffee and tell you all the stories and moments where I struggled to see how God was going to do anything with what we started here. And God spoke through a dream and a vision um, and awakened me to something that I couldn't quite grasp that was here and available, but also in the future that I needed to trust him for. And he is always doing that over and over again. I mentioned this time a year ago, give her a few, a few days. A friend of ours, Alan Anderson, went to be with Jesus and passed away suddenly. We weren't ready for it. It was totally unexpected. Heartbreaking, actually confusing. Um, it still is. I, I don't have any good theological answers for you, really. Um, it still baffles me. Um, but one of the things he'd begun to do and grow in was... Uh, to draw and paint pictures of what he felt like God showed him in any given moment. And if he knew him, he would carry his little gold bag around with his art pad and pictures and lots of different mediums. And he would just, like at a party or at church or wherever, he would just sit and he would draw. And then he would give the picture to you or to whoever it was for. And uh, I would love you to hear some of the stories of people that have received those pictures of which they're still breathing life and hope. A picture, we say to him, he tells a thousand words. They're not always like something that you can be really detailed about, but they actually awaken something inside of us and speak to a moment that is powerful. Um, and you might have seen this one sitting up about, and I don't know if you've noticed next door, but we did a version of it on the wall. So if you didn't see, you can see next door, but it's kind of in memory of him. Um, but this is a picture that he drew of, I don't know if you notice it, but it's the shirt factory. You see that? Yeah. It's very simple. Um, and it could just be in his imagination, which is, is, is how God often speaks to us. And uh, the idea is simply of, in the Bible, there's lots of stories about rivers and water, and it tends to speak of God's presence and his healing power and his love. And so the picture is of God's love pouring out of the factory and across the city and beyond. Um, he drew that not too long ago. And I could tell loads of stories of coincidences, but this is another picture. I don't know if you can see this. Can you see this? It's quite hard to see, isn't it? I'll let you come and have a, have a look afterwards. Is Catherine, is this you? I can't remember who this was. So this is totally uh, independent, about a week apart. No knowledge of this picture. This picture was given maybe a month later. And it's one of our prayer times. Um, Catherine had a picture. Uh, it looks I and mean, it is exactly the same. Totally different. We hadn't talked about it. It's not me. Okay, coincidence. I know. When you get that happen over and over again, it's pretty pretty significant. Um, can I share about your three hearts? Is, is that possible? I, I know I haven't asked your permission, but I just thought it's another example of that where um, this picture is given to Claire and um, she had a, a, a word given to her by someone about number of years before about how she had like three hearts and it was related to something specifically about a story or a piece of writing. The Grinch. The Grinch, there you go. The Grinch heart grows three times, is that what happens? Yeah. Um, and uh, so Alan's just doing what he's doing, drawing a picture and like, but uh, like he drew three hearts expanding, no notion of what this was, but for Claire, that was deeply significant and spoken to something that God was doing. Um, and I could go through each of these pictures and the 30 plus ones that he's done for others where they're still having value and significance.
And that's just an example of a really simple thing that God does. And I'm going to do a tribute to Alan at the end in a moment, just because I think it is fitting and right that we do it, um, if that's okay with you. And if you haven't, you didn't know him, I, I will do it in a way that hopefully get a little glimpse in them. But let me just take five more minutes to answer some questions on dreams and visions, because I know you probably have some. I do, often. And um, What are they for? Why does God speak that way? How do we live with that? How do we know if it's him? All those questions. Uh, if you haven't heard the talk that we did on hearing from God and the discernment triangle and all of that, look on our YouTube channel a few weeks ago. It would be really helpful as a foundation for this. But here's some reasons that God speaks to us in visions and dreams and imagery. And um, First one is he does it to illustrate something of his way that we find difficult to understand. Jesus did this all the time. He spoke most of his ministry and message about the kingdom of heaven, something that was very difficult, through stories that were full of imagery to help us grasp something, to help illustrate something that is difficult to understand. And he's sitting with one of the top religious scholars of the day, talking about what is life. And he's a guy called Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is baffled. He cannot understand. Jesus doesn't fit any of his religious boxes or any of his understanding of how the world works. And Jesus starts talking to him about being reborn. And, and Nicodemus just doesn't get it. And Jesus says this. He says, how can I talk to you about things that are seen? I have things to tell you about that you couldn't even grasp. And I'm trying to tell you about the simple stuff and you don't even get it. And it's just this notion that the way of God, the God of the universe and his kingdom, that is his, his rule, his reign, his realm, is way beyond our ability to fully grasp. It is multidimensional, multifaceted. It is like beyond our ability to fully comprehend. And so often imagery, visions, and dreams create a way for us to explore and interact with God's world. And that can be nuanced, it can be difficult for us in the West to grasp that, but it also unlocks something of his beauty. You can look at the parables that Jesus taught, the early biblical narrative, apocalyptic literature, Daniel, Revelation, all using symbol, imagery, vision to describe something of God's world which is entirely other than what we understand. Second reason that God uses dreams, visions, images to speak to his people is insight. And this is similar to illustration, not only to illustrate truth, but also to help us understand something that is beyond our ability to understand. Sometimes there are things that God is doing on the earth that we in our finite time and space existence and this small corner of the universe within a small corner of history find difficult to grasp the wonder of God at work throughout the ages and into the future. And so God wants us to be part of his purposes and so in his grace and mercy he awakens things in our heart through visions, dreams and images to help invite us into a world that we find difficult to understand. Third thing is intimacy. So you got illustration, to illustrate, to give insight, and to draw us towards God in intimacy. Jesus is wanting always to invite us into his kingdom. And visions, dreams, and imagery are always an invitation for a deeper conversation with Jesus. A few weeks ago, I was uh, tired and struggling. And I found myself exhausted and I was reading a story in the scripture about Mark where the disciples were exhausted and I won't go into it now but it's all about the feeding of the 5,000 at the very end of the story it says this phrase the disciples hearts were hard because they didn't understand about the bread 
And I was like, that phrase just hit me like a ton of bricks. So I've been on this journey with God about bread, image of bread. And he's been speaking to me through that image, you know, to grasp things that I find difficult to understand through images and vision to help me and invite me into a conversation of intimacy with him, friendship with him. Last thing is it's also there to illuminate, to breathe color and inspire faith and hope in our hearts. Images, dreams, and visions are like a window into a reality that's available now and into the future that we cannot see easily, but we get to encounter it in a way that God brings. One last story, and then I want to do a tribute. Where do we sometimes go wrong? Um, I have a friend who's an artist, uh, and Graham Sharp in Glasgow at the university with him. He's very good. He talked to me about the fundamentals of art, and he was telling me about the best artist in his idea was Pablo Picasso, best out of all the generations. Um, but he said that the, the fundamentals of art is that you have to get the simple things right. And so artists work hard in illustration, in detail, in observation, and making sure that their skill in the medium that they're using is at a, a high level all of the time. So they're constantly working on detailed imagery. It's like the foundations. But then what happens is they take that and they creatively use it to tell a different story. That's why you've got these movements like the Impressionists, the Cubists, of which Pablo Picasso was one, the Surrealists, they're taking the medium of visual portrayal and they're twisting it to tell a different story or to unpack something beautiful that we can interact with. But the key thing about all that is they have the foundations and the fundamentals right. And I thought this is really helpful for understanding dreams, visions, and imagery is that we always have the foundations right. There is a story in the scripture that God tells that finds its purpose and center point in Jesus. And dreams and visions and imagery unlocks that story, illuminates that story, awakens that story, and helps us interact with it. But it doesn't change the story. It doesn't remove the foundations. And sometimes what's happened in the church is that people have taken an image or a dream or a vision and then they've created a whole different story based on that and it's taken them off in a different direction. We have a story that we hold to, but within that, God awakens our, our vision and mind to something beautiful. We have the foundations right, but we also see dimly. We still are trying to grapple with this thing that is unseen. And we see, like Paul said, through a dim mirror. But God awakens our hearts to a better future through dreams, visions, and images. He does this. He awakens something inside of us first so that we can see it happen outside next. God does something inside of your heart like he gives you a vision or a dream. Might be a real thing or it might be an idea. Something that he speaks about. I want to do this. And it's not there yet. It's not real in your seen world. And God speaks to you and he gives you a conviction about it, a sense of faith in something that you cannot see. That's what faith is. It's the evidence of something that you cannot see. And he says, I want you to make that come about. So he does it in here first. And then he asks you to walk it out before you even see it. It's, that's the way his kingdom works. So we say yes with the eyes of our heart, that which we cannot see with our natural eyes. A year ago, I lost a dear friend. And you may have read some of this. I read it in the week, and I'm just going to read it out. Um, in a moment, he was, he was gone. Um, Alan Henderson was funny. If you knew him, he was kind. He was deeply generous. He was 
unassuming, a really good, just a good person, a good man. And he was quietly confident and you could have missed him in a room. If you didn't know him, you maybe wouldn't appear that he was the biggest personality in the room. He wasn't the, the center of the party. Like, and yet when you got to know him, you began to recognize when he wasn't there. You began to notice that. And I miss, I miss him. I know many of you miss him not being here. And there was a simple joy and peace about how he conducted himself that he brought into the room. I, 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 I recognized how sometimes the tension that I was feeling and trying to negotiate what God wanted to do in a room would relax when he was there, even if he didn't say anything. And he left his mark, as I've mentioned already, for many. And for me, it was his deep, simple, powerful friendship with Jesus that still inspires me when I think about it. And a few years before Alan died, um, many of you know this, but he came to me and uh, he would do this often. God would speak to him and he would say, oh, God's telling me to do this. And, and the fir- at first I was always like, are you sure, Alan? <laughs> I'm not sure about that. <laughs> but he would always walk in it and then it would come about and naturally. It would always be me that was not perceiving that it was good. So he came to me anyway. And in a matter of fact, way, he just said, God's you know, told me to start drawing pictures for him. Um, and you have to understand that... <clears throat> People say things all the time, and sometimes that's alarm bells for me, you know, because there's going to be lots of strange things going on. But I wasn't like that. And I, I was a little bit like, okay, great, what's going to happen with that? And, and then I asked him a very simple, discerning question that I thought was relevant. Have you ever drawn before? Like, are you an artist? You know, do you do drawing? And he's like, no. <laughs> um, but I knew, I knew enough of him and his simple faith. Uh, but I don't mean simple and simplistic. I mean, like, childlike. Um, that let's just see where this goes. Um, so that's what he did. He started to draw. He would, bought some utensils. He had an art pad and he just started to draw pictures. And, and at, the, at first they weren't like the best artistic pictures you've ever seen. Like not all these would like make it to a gallery. Some of them would. But he worked on that and he, he tried different mediums and he did lots of different things. But it didn't actually matter because what he saw and then shared and drew began to really leave a massive mark in people's lives. And, and I know it's easy sometimes to think about these things in hindsight, but I, I really believe that is true. And they had a profound effect on many of you who have received them and certainly on us as a community um, in terms of what he shared. And it, it became his gift to us and to the world. And he would carry this gula bag, like I said, around that I got for his birthday. And wherever he went, he had his art pads and his pastels and his coloring pens and his whatever medium he decided he wanted to try that day. And it didn't matter whether it was church or like a little party or a kid's birthday. It didn't matter. He just he brought it with him. And like he always expected that God might show him something. And he was just going to sit there in the corner and draw. And, and then he would leave it with the person or the, the people. And, and there's, there's not space, like I said, to share all the beautiful stories of how deeply impactful and accurate those stories were for people here and across the world, actually. And you'll have to take my word for it or talk to some of these guys. But they continue to breathe hope and faith and courage for those who receive them. In the Bible, uh, there is a writer who records this, this list, it's called the Heroes of Faith, or at least that's how we've titled it. And uh, it's in Hebrews chapter 11, you can read it for yourself when you get home. And it begins with this phrase, it's about what we've been talking about this morning, that faith is the confidence or assurance in what we hope for, confidence about what we cannot see. That's what faith is. 
It's the assurance of what we hope for in the distance and faith or confidence in what we cannot yet see. And it says that this is what the heroes of the faith were commended for. Like all the stories that we read in the scripture are of people who saw something that they did not get to walk in that they couldn't yet see. And yet somehow through dreams, visions, and God speaking, they were able to bring it into the present and believe for something that they did not yet get to experience, but that others got to walk in. And later the writer, same writer of the Hebrews says, these heroes all died in faith. In other words, they died, they, their lives were cut short without seeing everything that they believed for or God showed them. And it says this, I, love, I think this is beautiful and I think it captures the heart of Alan. It says, having not received the things that were promised to them, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. Yeah. And having acknowledged, and this is true, that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. They were people of whom the world was not worthy. They, they had an ability to see something of, the, of God's world, which is available now and coming fully in the future, that they were able to make known to us in the present in a way that they didn't get to see the fullness of. And that is what it means to be people of the kingdom. To live in a world that cannot see the reality of God and his kingdom and to do our best to pull that future reality into the presence and make it known. And one of the ways that is beautiful that God uses is images, dreams, and vision. I don't understand why on that I've thought a lot about it. I have some feeble attempts at trying to answer it, but really they don't stack up for me. <laughs> it doesn't make sense to me. It's what I put in the category of the mystery and the tragedy of this broken world between the times. We are waiting for a future kingdom, which is here now, but it is not all here now. And in the middle of that, we still experience the tragedy and the brokenness of this world. But what I do know about him and what I grasped about his life is that he saw something of the future reality of God's promise. And he saw it clearer than most. He was able to greet it from afar and bring it into the present for so many of you. He saw glimpses of a better future like the prophets of old did. He was aware of this very real and tangible kingdom, God's beautiful way, and he saw it in pictures and visions where many of us were perhaps oblivious. He saw in a way that was unhindered and clear, and then he drew it, simply with whatever medium he decided that day. Uh, and none was off limits. And he brought it into the present for us to see it. I miss Alan, as many of you do. I miss him being here and doing that. I miss the fortiest of heaven that he carried with him. I do. And I wanted to take the moment as a community, even for those that don't know him, just to honour that. And to honour not only his life, but also the legacy of what he has left. And as a community to say yes again to God speaking to us through dreams, visions, images, and pictures, as he does through the scripture, awakening our hearts to the more of his kingdom that he wants to see come into this present, that we would be people that see from afar the promises of God and bring them in this world, even though we feel like strangers. 
I look forward to, to the day, and I, I shared this on, online if you've already read it, but I look forward to the day when both Alan and I, and you, hopefully, will see that future reality of God's kingdom, which is available now, by the way, but is coming in full color without hindrance in the future. That heavenly one that Jesus spoke about, which is God's most beautiful way, which is not as distant as we think, and is much closer than we sometimes perceive, and Alan knew that and saw clearer than most and understood better than I the words of Jesus when he said that the heavenly kingdom of God is within reach. But I also look forward to the day where, and this is maybe how I imagine it, you have your own imagination, but I imagine sitting on the beach with a whiskey because <laughs> Alan and I, that was one of the things we did together. Um, but the key point of that story is this, that, that he will remind me of what God has done even further on from the eye, and of the things that he saw in advance and say, I told you then that he would do it. God of mystery and love, and I want to pray just for a moment to close. God of mystery and love, I pray for the gift of faith for, for me and for this community, that your son Alan so beautifully modeled and I pray that we would have the capacity and the ability to see more clearly than most the reality of your future hope of the kingdom of God and of the of kingdom of heaven breaking into this present world from afar. Will we have courage to bring it into this present moment for others to taste and see? I ask it in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I want to close by taking two minutes of quiet. And what I want God to do in that moment, and he might have other ideas, <laughs> but I want you to close your eyes and I want you to hold out your hands if that's comfortable for you. And I want you just to take a moment to, re to remind yourself that his kingdom is near and that it is present and within reach. And it is an unseen world that sometimes we walk through life unaware of but actually just as we shared its closeness that he would become aware of it. And I'm just gonna leave silence and quiet. And what I want God to do or what I would love for him to do is just to begin to open up your heart through dreams, images, and vision to see something of his kingdom and what he purposes for you that you cannot see with your natural eyes. And so he might speak to you about something that you're asking him about. He might give you a promise that you need to hold on to. He might awaken something that's new for you. Or you might not experience anything and that's okay. But can I just pray and leave that space and then I'll close. So God, come and speak to us, awaken our hearts through dreams, visions, images, and through your word. I pray in this moment that you would speak to people individually, powerfully, dynamically. And I ask that we would steward well as a kingdom this mode of your creative speaking in our midst. Thank you for joining us at Foyle Vineyard Church. We love walking out this adventure of being a family together on mission. If you've joined us for the first time today, we'd love to connect with you further. Head over to our website, www.foylevineyard.co.uk and click I New to keep up to date with all the ways in which you can get involved with this busy family. Have a wonderful week and God bless.
Thank you.